0: If you would, turn in your bulletins to page 10. The Scripture reading for this morning is here. We're continuing. We have two more weeks, this week and next week, in our Hot Topics series. And this was a series in which we asked you what, quote-unquote, hot topics do you want to hear about, and there there were questions about, like I said earlier, if God is omnibenevolent and omnipotent. Why do evil and suffering exist? And so, we're going to look at that, but we're going to talk about it in in a larger context about suffering just in general. So, the Scripture reading then is from Lamentations, really and truly a book about suffering. If you would stand and read along as I lead us in a reading of God's Word from Lamentations 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all the peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This question of suffering is one that we all ask, and I believe that we began to ask it at a very young age. I'll give you an example. For We've lived in Oklahoma for a year. For the past nine years previously, we lived in Eastern Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Philadelphia, which is a place that gets a lot of snow. Um, I believe the year that we left, I was in snow up to my waist. It was a beautiful thing. And when my daughter Lucy was small, she asked a really poignant question. And her question was, if it's dangerous to drive on the roads when it's snowy, why doesn't God just make it snow on the grass? and not on the pavement. It's like, I've got a little theologian on my hands, right? Because what she's acknowledging is God is good. He doesn't grieve us from His heart, and He's powerful. He made the whole world and everything in it. What's the big deal about making snow just fall on the grass? So as a little child, she's asking this question. And it doesn't take long until you experience some form of suffering in your life that you begin to ask that question too. Some of us, I would say, ask it more pointedly. Some of us are very okay just accepting, whatever's from my Father's hand, I understand. And some of us go, why? Today's text from Lamentations gives us a picture of a man who is suffering greatly. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We're asking this question, if God is all good and all powerful, why are there evil and suffering? But it's a part of the larger context of talking about suffering, it is very difficult, I believe, for us to talk about suffering in a way that's merely intellectual. There's a lot of things that we talk about You can just keep it here, but you and I carry around in our heart scars from great suffering in our lives. You know, there are things that heal, but we always bear the brand marks of. Like in a way, like we're all, even though you don't see it, we're all walking around with a limp. We're all walking around with a limp, and it's caused by untold suffering that's happened to us. Um, You know, several stories I could share. Uh, One great, one significant one in my life, Tuesday, April 27th, 2010, so eight years ago, I was 30 years old, I was preaching that Tuesday night to my RUF group. And I wasn't feeling particularly well, but it was the last, last large group of the semester, I thought, I can do this, I can finish it out. And I did, and I came home, and I was running a fever, and by that night, my fever had gotten up to 104.7, and it was shaking. Um, I didn't know that you could have, like, fever tremors. Apparently, that's a thing. So the next day, I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you need to go to the ER immediately. So I went to the ER, and you know what I found out? I had pneumonia. Okay, great. Pneumonia is very treatable, right? So it's great when they hook you up. They don't even give you the pills to swallow. They just hook you up to the antibiotics and it's like, okay, I'm going to get better. And over the course of about five days, my condition gradually worsened. Uh, My daughter was seven months old at the time. My wife and my daughter were staying with some people in our community group because they just wanted to love us. And by the end of the five days, as it continued to decline, my breathing got to about 10% capacity. And they give you this, this funny little thing to measure. I don't know what it's called. Incentive spirometer is what it's called. And so got to about 10%. So imagine, if you want to work this out, just breathing whatever you can hold in your mouth. It's about 10%. And the doctors, different doctors would come in and say, well, I don't know why you're not getting better. And they say that, yeah, I don't know either. I wish you'd do your job because I'm getting worse. <laughs> doctors don't like it when they, you tell them they need to do their job. Um, but it was getting worse and worse. And they finally called in an infectious disease specialist. Because I don't know why I haven't traveled overseas at that point, you know, to get any funky disease. And the infectious disease specialist says, "Well, you you can't breathe. Why don't they do? Why don't you guys do a CT scan?" So they did a CT scan, uh, and what they found was in in my lungs uh, blood clots, and in my right lung a blood clot really a mass of blood clot that was slightly smaller than my fist. And they said, this is really bad. This is potentially fatal. They began treating me for the clots. Um, They put me on Coumadin, which some of you have been on. It's not fun. Because if you cut yourself shaving, you're going to bleed for seven weeks. And I I remember lying there in the bed as it was getting worse, the story ended up good because I'm here, I'm alive. I remember lying in the bed thinking, been married for a few years, and I just had a daughter. We had been in Pennsylvania for two years. Why? I mean, this could be how it ends. 30 years old, um, at the time, I thought it was a great preacher. I've realized differently since. It's like education, all this other stuff, like things to build to a future, and this could be it. And then what's going to happen to my wife, to my daughter? You all have been in that position. not necessarily laying in a hospital bed. Some of you have been there. Some of you have seen even worse, like your kids go through something like that. It's very easy, I believe, kind of in our Christian culture, to come in and just like, everything is happy. Christianity is about joy. Um, an older brother in RUF once told me, he said, the entirety of my ministry is this, Scott, to prepare my students to die. I think there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that because you and I have a life of suffering. And can I be frank? Uh, you know, some of the ways that different Christians approach suffering just really irritate me. A, past, a local pastor posted an article in owasso You guys know what owasso is? Please tell me, yes. owasso is like, imagine like the old lady who sits on her porch all day and gossips and then posts it on the internet. That's what a is. <laughs> but they, they also have good news as well. And you want to see if one of your neighbors was arrested that week, you get to see that too. Um, But the pastor posted in owasso this. He says, quote, Most suffering is due to other people's sin. The vast majority of human suffering is caused by sin, all too often the sin of other people. Okay. Um, If we're talking about horrible things like rape, murder, abuse, yeah, absolutely. But (laughs) all of us are going to suffer without anyone sinning against us right? You remember in 2004, the tsunami that killed 250,000 people? A quarter of a million people. I mean, your parents' cancer? I mean, these aren't because of sin directly. It's not like you're sinning, and then God sends something. Jesus himself dealt with that. Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or the sin of his parents? Jesus, because it doesn't have anything to do with sin, man. So suffering is not just because of sin. Because here's here's the picture that that gives. If you can just stop sinning, then we can all stop suffering. And that's a lie. The reason that you and I suffer. Has everything to do with Genesis chapter 3. I fully believe that if you really understand Genesis 1 through 3, then you understand the rest of the Bible. Genesis 3 is the fall. Adam and Eve choose to disobey God, and that puts them into an estate of sin and misery. That is, nothing works right from then on out. Your bodies are against you. Creation is against you. So the reason that we suffer is not merely just sin. Yes, of course sin. But the entire fallenness and brokenness of the world that we live in, right? That's why we suffer. It's the brokenness of the fall. So kind of with that introduction, it, it, to give us a scope and a mindset to think about it, I want to look at three things this morning. The truth and lie of suffering's isolation. We want going to look at the murky purpose of suffering's long night. And then finally, the long-awaited promise of suffering's end. So we'll start with the truth and the lie of suffering's isolation. Here's the truth of it. In some way, when you're suffering, and I realize some of you are suffering really significantly now. The truth is, when you are enduring suffering, in some way, you are alone in it. If you look at Lamentations, you know, the Scripture reading here, 1 through 18, there's no one else but Him. This is his experience of suffering. He's not calling out to the other Israelites. He sees it that he's alone in it. And I would say that one of the reasons we can say that in some way you are alone in your suffering is because we're all so uniquely different, and the things that bring about our suffering are so uniquely different, right? I mean, only you have your personality and have your inclinations and tendencies. And then take that... And then put on top of it a unique type of suffering, you know, a particular disease. And then your socioeconomic status, your walk with the Lord, like where you are, like all of these things create a mosaic that is unique to you. So in some way, we are alone in our suffering. Yeah, if you look at verse, the entire thing in Lamentations This is only just singular pronouns. He's going through it alone. I think that it's important for us to see that this this is the case. Sometimes when we're suffering, I don't know if you've been in the boat like me like this, I'm suffering and I want other people to understand it exactly as I do and to get frustrated when they can't. Well, it's not their fault that they can't. Is because every unique thing about my suffering, no one else can enter into it exactly like me, right? So, it's important to have grace for those who are trying to help. But there's a lie about suffering and isolation as well, because this is a common human experience. You guys have heard the saying, there's only two sure things in life, death and taxes, Right? Um, I mean, you could say suffering, which leads to death and taxes. And taxes lead to suffering. So you see it's just a big loop, really. (laughs) We've all suffered in some way or another. And it's not, you understand, like, when we're talking about in a body, in a context like this, this is not a contest. Well, I've suffered more than you. You had cancer in your arm? I had it in my arm and my leg. I mean, that's not what we're about. But it's important as we suffer to recognize everyone else has a perspective on it too. And we're not alone. God's put us in a body together to endure and to help each other. You know, we have this collective understanding of what this looks like. For us to be able to go through this together. You know, and by the way, I'm going to make a plug for something right now. This is why community groups are so important. You can kind of get to know people coming on Sunday morning. You can't enter into their sufferings on Sunday morning. You can't. You got to see each other throughout the week to actually do life together. You know, so we're going to be recruiting for community groups in September. Just something to think about to help us fight off the isolation of suffering in our lives and for us to be able to help others, okay? So, how do you help? Like, if you're not alone in your suffering, how do you actually help? Okay, for the person who is suffering, one thing you can do to help others is let people in, I don't know if you grew up in this context, but there's a lot of us who were raised to believe you keep that sort of stuff to yourself, and you don't tell others, and you kind of keep people walled out and don't let them to actually know what's going on in your heart. To that, let me say this. Thank God that the biblical writers did not think that way. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the Psalms wouldn't have lamentations. You know, the easiest way for you to help people when you're suffering is to let them in. Let them pray for you. Let them attempt to comfort you. Let them walk with you and weep with you as you go through it. For some of us, this is really difficult. That's one way you can help. Now, how do you help the person who's suffering? I mean, you've all you've all been there, and I realize as I just said this, there's a lot of guys in the room. and Your wife's crying, and you just don't know what to do, right? Um, I mean, this is this is something that you can you're talking about like every week, month, year. How do you help the person that's suffering? Let me let me give you some things not to say. It's not so bad. Okay. it'll get better well maybe it won't maybe it won't uh, another thing not to say God has a reason for this totally true totally true but you know what that kind of that makes it trite it kind of baptizes suffering it's like if I just put a little Jesus in there then everything's going to get better no not really so God does have a reason for it. Or, you know, I've got, I got this one. It was really exciting when I had Lyme disease. Y'all were just learning all about my medical history this morning. Aren't you excited about that? A friend said, well, Scott, you really should just work out more. That, that's not an effective treatment for Lyme disease. <laughs> You know, there's, it's easy for us to put our foots in our mouth, our feet in our mouths. Not even a singular foot, both feet, directly in the mouth. Because we see, let's say a friend, a loved one's pain, and we just want to help. You know, we don't do it intentionally. We just want to help. Sometimes the best thing to say is, I can't think of anything to say, but I want you to know that I'm with you in your grief. When we think about helping the sufferer, a lot of us have this model. Imagine there's a big pit, and there's no way to get out. And the sufferer is at the bottom of this pit. The way that we think about helping the one who is suffering is... How do I throw a rope down? How do I do something like that in order to pull them out of the pit? You know, and sometimes they're so weak they can't even grab the rope. And so how do I get, like, you know, one of those little claws that grabs the stuffed animals down there to pull them up? And I just want to help them out. The best thing you can do is get down in that pit. Go down into the pit with them because that's where they need to be. That's where you need to be with them. And in a very true way, the only one that can get anyone out of the pit is Jesus himself, to bring about the end to the relief of that suffering. So that's really the principle of it. There's a truth and a lie about suffering's isolation. It's important for us to be cognizant of that. So now let's, let's go to the second point. The question is why do we suffer? What is this murky purpose of suffering's long night? You know, this has been grabbed on by quite a number of people, quite a number of authors, to say that the existence of evil and suffering disproves the existence of God. That if God is actually all good, and God is actually all powerful, and I see evil and suffering, therefore He must not exist because a good God and a powerful God wouldn't allow it to exist. You know, that's a common popular argument among atheist philosophers. No one uses that. You know, as you think about talking to non-Christians, that's important to remember. This is not a popular argument among philosophers. However, if God is all good and all powerful, why why does evil and suffering exist? You know, the Bible gives us some reasons but it doesn't give us a full-orbed reason about why you are suffering in your particular instance in the way that you are. You know, there's an incorrect assertion by saying, look, if evil appears and suffering appears pointless to me, then it is pointless. If I can't conceive of a reason why suffering exists, therefore there must not be one. Well, that doesn't, that's not very good, Because that means that the only explanations for what's going on have to be comprehended by me. It is possible for God to have a reason that you just don't know about. And in our particular instances, most of the time that's what it is. Sometimes when we come through it, we see how God used it, right? And that's a beautiful thing. Not the suffering itself, but what the suffering produces. The Bible talks a lot about that. How your walk with the Lord is so much more tender or intimate because of it. How you've grown and changed because you've had to rely on Him because there was no one else to rely on. So there's some things like that. But still, look, God allows suffering. Look at verses 12 through 13. In the text, He bent His bow and set me as a target for His arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. This is not merely this is not merely God allowing suffering. The one shooting the arrows is God himself. Right into his kidney, which that seems like a very painful injury. God himself. So there's a lot of Christianese out there. It's like, well, God doesn't actually bring about suffering. He just allows it. Some, I mean, yes and no. That's not really the way the Bible speaks of it. It's just not. So, what's the answer? What's the answer? Christianity is so unique in this. God Himself came to earth to deliberately put himself on the hook for human suffering. You know, the, the, we're given a lot of purposes for it, but the ultimate purpose is for him to be like us in his suffering. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, you know, 2 Corinthians 1.5 is for us to share in Christ's sufferings. Philippians 3, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. 1 Peter 2 Christ suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 1 Peter 4 we share in Christ's sufferings so that we may share in his glory. I mean there's so many of these beautiful reasons but why this particular suffering at this particular time? I want to recommend I think this is the I don't do this very often I want to recommend a book it's called Lament for a Son by the theologian Nicholas Wolterstorff. Wolterstorff, I believe he was at Yale, and he lost his son when his son was 24 in a mountaineering accident. And the book is really his memoir of wrestling with God through it. So, I would just highly recommend that, but Waltersworth says in this book, he says, my wound is an unanswered question. The wounds of all humanity are an unanswered question. Christianity does not provide, Bible does not provide the reason for each experience of pain. It just doesn't. We have the general because of the fallenness of the world. We have specific things so that we might be like Christ and know Him. And share in him, but every specific instance, of course not. So, why does he allow it to continue? Emmanuel, God with us, even in our sufferings. You know, God, he's not the God of the sufferers, he himself is the God who suffers one of the most unique things about Jesus were his sufferings. The God who has never suffered became like you and me to enter in to the very fallenness that you and I experience on a daily basis, that he himself came to be a suffering God, that he might take that suffering and redeem it to put an end to suffering in the future. So, our murky purposes, sometimes we just don't know, but we know this, whatever they are, He loves us. And the cross, specifically even the incarnation of Jesus, is absolute proof of that because God didn't merely throw down a lifeline into the pit to pull us up, he didn't call out to us and say, hey, get out of the pit, humanity. He himself came, on, came down into the pit with us to experience our suffering and our pain in order then to put us on his back and carry us out of the pit. It's not because he doesn't love us. So oftentimes the purposes are murky, but for every ounce of suffering that we have, There's a long awaited promise to suffering's end. I do not believe that it's sufficient for the sufferer to merely know that God loves us. Yes, He does. You and I ask the question, either explicitly or implicitly, when we are going through suffering is this suffering in vain? What's the purpose? What's it for? I know that he loves me, then what is the purpose of this suffering? Look at verses 21 and 22. After listing so many ways in which he suffered, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And the verse 32, But though he caused grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love, for He does not afflict from His heart or grieve the children of men. He does not afflict from His heart. That you are suffering is not a reflection of how He actually loves you. You understand? We need to know that our suffering is not in vain. You know, as I think as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, that everything sad will come untrue. You and I long for the day in which suffering will be no more. And for those of us who are in the midst of suffering, we need to know that it's not in vain and it's going to end. And there is no way I can promise you, I wish I could. There is no way I could promise you that it's going to end in this life. The gospel just doesn't promise that. But it does promise an end it does promise an end. Brothers and sisters, it's important for us to realize that our God is appalled at suffering and death. He did not create the world that way. It was our disobedience as a human race that sent it into that. And when Jesus comes back, listen, will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new, and he says, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, that is, there will no longer be any fallenness or brokenness, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him, and they will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God himself will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. What you and I need in suffering to see a picture of the end That Jesus is coming, and with it, he will put an end to suffering, sin, and death. That the long night that you have endured, the shadows will be cast away, and you won't need a lamp or the sun, he himself will be our light. The hope of the gospel is not just merely the forgiveness of sins. Not just merely being cloaked in his righteousness it is the resurrection of our bodies and the life everlasting. That Jesus Himself will be all in all. Let's pray. Father, we ask you would enable us to suffer well. That we would be given all of the resources necessary to suffer well, you would enable us to help those who are suffering and help others suffer for us to enter into our suffering. Let us not be distracted too often by the why, but to see that you are a God who suffers, and you are a God who will bring it to an end. Help us to believe that promise. As we look to you, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.